I am an activist. I do feel like it's important to me to be part of creating beautiful spaces in San Francisco. I love the city more than anywhere in the world. So, and I feel really deeply committed to it being accessible, it having, you know, diversity and inclusion built in from the ground up, like to be having the conversations around who is here and why are they here and who feels comfortable here and how do we make space, really make it so that there's, you know, a feeling of belonging and that people come and they have experiences that they remember for the rest of their lives. You can't do it in a vacuum. That was Marcy Coburn, Senior Director of Creative and Marketing at San Francisco's Pier 70. I'm Jeff, and this is Storied San Francisco. In this episode, Marcy picks up where she left off in part one. If you missed that, please go back and check it out. In 1992, she came out to friends while on a walk across the country. Once she was back in California, she had to go through that process all over again with her parents to some surprising results. Marcy moved to San Francisco in 1994 and talks about the gay and lesbian scene in neighborhoods like the Mission back in the 90s. She worked a number of food and agriculture-related jobs and ended up at Cuesa, which runs the Ferry Building's farmer's market. While there, she started to think of ways to inject a more meaningful experience into food and drink events. She took that knowledge over to Pier 70, a development just south of Oracle Park that honors San Francisco's industrial and maritime history and puts artists and makers at the forefront. We end the episode with Marcy's outlook on the city moving forward. Here's Marcy. We didn't live together. I did a little stint in Santa Cruz, but we were together all the time. And then, uh, yeah, so that's when I started to like have a life in San Francisco. Do you want to talk at all about coming out to your family? Oh, sure. That's up to you. Yeah. So uh, my mother, so my parents got divorced. My mother had several marriages, and then she had oh. gone off on her own. When I uh, left to go uh, on the walk across America, she had gone on her own adventure. And um, she. I called her to tell her I was a lesbian, and she came out to me as a born-again Christian, and she had met <laughs> Jesus while we were apart. In a weird way, I want to be like, that's fair. I know. <laughs> I know. It was like, okay, well, cool. And she met him, yeah, she met him on acid, and uh, then she became a, an evangelical, evangelical Protestant. So she's been okay. very uh, religious since then. We were not raised that way. So, right. Yeah, we were raised like, agnostic of you know my father's probably an atheist but agnostic and like right. experienced lots of religion culture but nothing you know be questioning but nothing specific i'm just imagining so. that call like how did your mom receive your news <laughs> she was like oh that's great and i think oh. i had it i was framed around meeting someone mm -hmm. and she's like i met someone too <laughs> and i was like awesome and she's like, Jesus. They've written books about my guy. <laughs> I mean, wow. Yeah, okay. So okay. that was that. Yeah. And then dad took it a little harder, to be honest. Oh, no. um, okay. He just, he, I think he uh, 
because he was so working class and had been raised in Florida and so working class, like I think he he did that very classic thing, which is to really think that it was a choice. Oh. And he thought it was like I was choosing to make my life really hard. Right. And like not being able to marry a man in his mind, this man of this generation was like, you are destined to not be taken care of, be poor, right. you know, not be okay. And it was to him like it just meant he was going to have to worry about me and my mm-hmm. safety, mm-hmm. those kinds of things. And mm-hmm. so um, it was rough. He didn't take it well. Um, my stepmother actually is a saint, and she stepped in and was like, and has gay family members, and was like, Mm-mm. So we spent some time not talking, mm-hmm. and then my stepmother really kind of brought us back together. Oh, good. Okay. And so, yeah, we're good now, but cool. and have been for a long time. But right. he, yeah, it was rough. It wasn't okay. good at first. But I was like, okay, you know what? I'm going to just go figure this out. Right. Mom's with Jesus. Dad's with bigotry. I'm just going to go do my own thing. (laughs) And look, I mean, I really had good community, though, like friends that were amazing. And Mm so I I figured it out. And at that time, you could live in San Francisco. You could get a job. You could get an apartment. And you could make 10 bucks an hour. And it was okay. This is 94? Yeah. That you moved here? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So now... Now you're in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Um, where were you making $10 an hour? What kind of things I, well, were you doing besides yeah. sorry, jobs, but, uh, but then yeah. also what else? Yeah. Um, when I first got here, my um, what was my first job? I think it was Veritable. I think it was Veritable Vegetable. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, and they paid me nine ninety an hour, and that was like a lot. Big, yeah. It was great. It was like good money and long hours and crazy hours and all that. But I got to be in a warehouse with a bunch of dykes in the middle of the night, which was great. Yes. <laughs> yes. And talk about like music. We would listen to like amazing music while we were picking through the parsley box, you know, yeah. like in the middle of the cooler or in the middle of the night. And um, I have great friends from that time that I'm still friends with. Rad. Rad. Um, That's I, 30 years. Yeah. Almost. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, almost 30 years ago. Yeah, it's nuts. I think that like there's then there was a time in the 90s in San Francisco that like the gay 90s in San Francisco, which was just so unique to San Francisco, which is really I you ask any especially like self-identified former lesbian or lesbian or dyke from that time who um was coming sort of coming of age in the 90s in the mission in San Francisco. It was like a very unique time. It was like we had so much going on. I was just, just about to ask where, where, yeah. where did you live? Yeah, I lived in the mission. Out? Everybody did. Yeah. I mean, you could go anywhere in the mission and there was like stuff, like cool stuff to do. It was yeah. like Bearded Lady Cafe. There was there were clubs every night of the week. There was, um, I think it was called... Donna's Playhouse or some there was like a comedy club there was a Baghdad cafe on Market Street Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. there was like Leather Tongue Video Mm -hmm. there was like motorcycles you know repair shops everyone had a motorcycle Mm -hmm. you didn't have to have a car Mm -hmm. you didn't have to make a lot of money it was a really it was an awesome time it was really fun so you felt like pretty right away you're like this is this is I'm doing the right thing oh yeah yeah Yeah. did you imagine at that point that you'd still 30 years later ish no yeah no because we didn't think in terms I know I didn't even think in terms of like uh like career like having a real job or like having uh like we were very I mean for me too because it was like this it was a radical time, but it was also very working class. Like it was mm-hmm. very like it. We we sort of honored and respected um, p- 
people who were just like, you know, mechanics and, you know, working in a factory. Like, and there were certain gay jobs. Like, there were certain jobs that you could do in, you know, and have a mohawk and wear black leather yeah. and, you know, have facial piercings. And they mm-hmm. were like, you could work at Rainbow, you could work at Good Vibrations, you could work at Veritable Vegetable. Mm-hmm. You know, there were like just a, a few, a handful of jobs that really could, you could be like fully tatted up and and have all the things and get the jobs so and those were like labor jobs right you know i didn't see anybody in black leather and facial piercings like uh you know walking down market street etc or something like that and so i think at that point it was i remember my a girlfriend of mine got like a wrench tattooed on her leg and it was awesome but i was like she was like this is my commitment to like being working class you know and like now she's a principal in Seattle and like even better yeah totally but like has a total career but like um at the time it was like yeah we're you know we're grungy we're alternative this is what we're going to be always Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and um yeah gosh no do you want to walk us through some of the changes you saw in San Francisco over the next couple of decades but also maybe some some changes that you might have gone through in terms of jobs or yeah. You know, I mean, that's a lot of growing up or a lot of, yeah. Yeah. Growing, I guess growing up is just a stupid term, but like, you know. Totally. You, you've, you've settled, you put down roots even yeah. though you didn't know it. Like, yeah. And I actually left and came back a lot, which oh. was also something that I think was pretty common back then where we would bounce around. Like at one point I took a road trip across country and stayed in Provincetown on Cape Cod for a while awesome. and then came back. And I, but I always came back and I always had and in when I came back, right? There was always like somebody with a room in their apartment, in their flat, and somebody had a job, you know? It's not impossible now, but it's harder yeah. to come back now. So I think that's part of yeah. like, it just used to, there are still places in the world you can live and you can leave for a while and come back. It's yeah. still easier than it is here, I yeah. think. But. Yeah, my, so the last round for me was um, in like 2005-ish. I left, um, you know, was in a relationship. We moved to the East Coast. Like, we did some other stuff. And then when I tried to come back, it was like, oh, I'm priced out. Like, I don't think I can do this. Right. And that was when, um, you know, then it was like looking at, like, Oakland and Vallejo and all these other towns that people, you know, had settled in to try Mm. to figure it out. And I ended up buying a house in Oakland in 2012. So I did. I, like shapefully expatriated (laughs) but yeah like that's reality it is it's reality and it was like yard and you know garden and things that I could afford over there that I could never get here Mm -hmm. this for the same price it was like I could get a tiny condo or I could get a house with a yard you know and is that where you live now yeah that's where I still am so so right in north Oakland like right on the south Berkeley border so okay. like down like Alcatraz, Sacramento. So you're like back. Uh, you mentioned yeah. uh, university earlier. Yeah. you're kind of closer. Yeah, definitely. To, I to know, that area. right? Life's yeah. so funny that way. Circulation and yeah. yeah. But you now work in San Francisco. Were yes. You, did you always have jobs in San Francisco, or did, were you moving um, around? Or? No, I was. I directed the Eat Real Festival in Oakland for oh, a while yeah. and the okay. Food Craft Institute over there. So I did work in Oakland for a while. Okay. And then, yeah. And then in... I've t- been to one of those. You have. When it was in Jack London, Yeah, Jack London Square. Yeah, it was yeah. a lot of fun. Those are really fun. So, yeah, we... Um, so yeah I did the Oakland I did Oakland food so my my I did Ecological Farming Association for a while which is based in Santa Cruz 
And that's like a big farming conference in Monterey every year. And then um, the Eat Real Festival, Food Craft Institute. So I was in like the food and beverage scene for a long time and then went to Quesa, which is, yeah, the ferry building farmer's market. So, um, and did that for almost six years there as the CEO. So that was like the moment that brought me to where I am now in terms of like, centered around food and beverage for sure and sustainable agriculture and farmers, but also that sense that there's a thing which has like a name or not a name, which is about creating um, third places or like ecosystems that are not identifiable by necessarily just what you're eating or drinking or seeing or what the buildings are, but it's what happens in between, what mm. happens in that energy mm. that creates spaces that are memorable and important. I and love that, that it's really hard to articulate that, but that's that that magic energy that like really drives me in terms of where I am now in my career because it's. A combination of, sure, yeah, you take a cool, really cool historic building, you throw an amazing event, you have perfect food and excellent mezcal, for example, and you do this thing, but then something else happens when you have all those elements together that's like, wah! The umami of events. Yes! Or experiences. (laughs) Someone will come up with a word for it. So good! The umami of events. (laughs) I just, or magic. I just yeah. call it magic. Or people have talked about it, how it's like a spiritual experience for them. A mm-hmm. lot of people feel that way about the farmer's market. They go every week. It's mm-hmm. it's something like a church-like experience mm-hmm. where it's like you're going and you're seeing people you know and love and you're getting, you know, the smells and the taste and the flavors and the energy and the light and the color and the and the atmosphere that you love and that is a spiritual experience. I don't want to get ahead of your story, but yeah. what you're talking about, I feel like for those of us who know and appreciate what you're talking about, that was one part that was so hard about the pandemic, right? Is that yes. like the door just closed and it was like yes. have fun with Netflix, y'all. Totally. Which thanks Netflix, by the way. Anyway, sure. But, yeah. But right. No, I know. I think that for I was thinking about this because you know we're at a a year you know a year and a few months from this time, but we're also having there's like a lot of astrology right now. I'm really into astrology in mm-hmm. the planets. That is very similar to what it was in like the end of March last year. Oh, okay. And I, I did remember, not know that. yeah. So it's like a reflection back. Uh, because of these transits that like Mars and Saturn and Uranus are in that was just like the the sky was then. And I was thinking about this this morning and um, that feeling of like every single thing that brings me joy except for the, the love of my life, except for my personal love relationship, every single other thing that brings me the most joy in the world, which is like being out amongst people, talking to people, performance, eating, drinking, restaurants, going to see shows, like theater is over. Mm -hmm. And at that point, like maybe forever. Mm -hmm. And it was like, oh my God, like how do I, how does anyone find joy without any of those things, right? Right. Yeah. It was like, it was a few months of like, uh. Yeah, I mean, and and I, I feel like now when I use past tense, it's like a hopeful I know. Past tense, like that's how we were thinking and that's how it felt. Yeah. You know, know, like. I know. um, I know. Okay. So um, can you take us, did did you go directly from Cuesa to this job? Yes. Yes. So, yes. Was it your choice? Yes. (laughs) I know. Very strange timing. Um, 
I, but, but divine in some ways because I had, um, left, I had given notice and left the, the Quesa position January 31st of 2020, started oh. this job February 18th of 2020. And then we went into shelter in place on March 16th. Later, yeah. So yeah, I had the new job and luckily I had the new job for a month because I actually got to like be in mm. FaceTime with people. But yeah, the entire, pretty much after that first month in onboarding, the entire process was online. What was yeah. it about this this gig, this Pier 70 gig that yeah. attracted you, that, that brought you in? Yeah, the the biggest reason, um, I well, I think it's an incredible project. I love that it's a project where um, there's not like mass displacement happening. <laughs> you know, it's like a commercial real right. estate project that's in an industrial space. Um, it's the historic buildings, the historic core is so essential to San Francisco. It's so gritty and important. And the maritime mm-hmm. piece is really important. Mm-hmm. So like just aesthetically, I loved it. Um, and I do have a past of hanging out out here, which we can talk about. Sure. But um, beyond that, the the joy of being able to do what we're talking about, this umami of events, like this placemaking thing at the ferry building, um, the opportunity to get to do that from the literally from the ground up, like from the dirt to up, build to build it and literally. be part of the vision of what it becomes and build it into all of the planning and and the people who are working on this project are like so smart and so on it and really get it that you can't just keep doing the same thing over and over and expect different results like about you know developments mm-hmm. and so. This project went through a huge entitlement process, has been, you know, really vetted by the community and approved by the community and built into it at its core are like artists and makers and, you know, this ethos of like San Francisco and being of the city and and really legitimately they hired me to hold that vision, which is, you know, A, unusual for a development company to have a role like mine, but B, to hire a, you know, big lesbian with this history to do it right Right. like who has this kind of like uh history here i think Mm -hmm. is is amazing to to be part of yeah i mean you you spoke to this but you know i i don't have to tell you that for a lot of people in san francisco development is a bad word yeah so and, and i feel like I'm going to go on record and say, like, y'all are doing it the right way. Yeah, yeah. For, and for I mean, everything that you just said. Exactly. For the, exactly those reasons. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, why? Yeah, it's going to happen. Development's going to happen here. Right. So, like, let's throw in for a project that, like, really makes sense. And that, like, I, I am an activist. I do feel like it's important to me to be part of creating beautiful spaces in San Francisco. I love the city more than anywhere in the world. So even though I live in Oakland, sorry, Oakland. Um, But I love San Francisco and I feel really deeply committed to it being accessible, it having, you know, diversity and inclusion built in from the ground up, like to be having the conversations around who is here and why are they here and who feels comfortable here and how do we make space, really make it so that there's, you know, a feeling of belonging and that people come and they have experiences that they remember for the rest of their lives. You can't do it in a vacuum, you right. know, you can't. Right. And you can't do it if you're just looking at your rental return, you know, your ROI or whatever. Right. You have to you have to do more than that and this project really is. So. Awesome. Yeah. Um you said that you were going to talk about 
being here in other capacities. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. That. So we were um, we were talking about the punk music scene, etc. And mm-hmm. um, so back in the '90s in San Francisco, there were so many bands. Everyone I knew was in a band. My wife, I didn't know her well then. I knew who she was, but she was in a band. Tribate was a big deal mm-hmm. in terms of like the lesbian scene. And um, and were you ever in a band? I was never in a band. You never did music. No. Okay. Hey. I'm, I'm band adjacent. Right. But yeah. Right. Uh, so we um, we just there used to be just like impromptu shows out here, like right. all the time, like in these right. old warehouses, and and I don't know. With you know, generators. Or yeah, like generators, them, and some of them, and some and like lots of like fire pits and wild yeah. things, and so. Yeah. Um, that's the other thing is that I don't know exactly where we were. Like, I believe we were around here somewhere, but like, it's so different now. It's really hard to say, but like there were tire beach, there were always shows at tire beach and, but it was like, it was like, we could do anything we wanted. Mm-hmm. We could do anything out here. Like a playground. For one, like one, one, um, person I know said recently it's because we were invisible and so mm. we could do whatever we wanted we could o- we were only visible to each other mm-hmm. right like the queer punk dykes whatever of that time mm-hmm. like we were only visible to each other so we really got away with a lot and Fine. there were just gigantic parties out here and so that was the other thing is that when I first came out here to tour the site and it was bef- it was years ago it was before I was thinking about this position or anything oh, okay I had come out here and um we, um, I was walking around and I was like, oh, I remember this energy. I remember this place. Like, and this is going to be really, really cool. And you can feel it. You can feel the energy. It's got great energy. We've been ending episodes this season, which we kicked off in March, um, with our theme, We're Still Here. Mm. Um, there's been so much displacement. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the pandemic forced a lot of people out. Mm-hmm. A lot of people left on their own. Yeah. Um, and we just wanted to make the point of we are still here but we are still like the people on the show are still here yeah do you want to speak to that um i i I think i think built into the into the speaking to that is um the near future of this city and kind of like envisioning it also with last summer's uprisings Mm -hmm. um you know Mm -hmm. thinking about things in a new lens um any of that if you if you want to speak to it yeah i um have been here long enough that I have now seen San Francisco change a lot. I feel like, you know, the first dot com bust and then the rise of tech and the sort of Silicon Valley-ness of San Francisco. Um, lots of different people displaced in different neighborhoods for different reasons, right? But it's like an ongoing story. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I feel like something really great is coming in terms of like the wave we're in and that San Francisco could stand to lose some people who aren't here and don't care about the things we care about. Right. And so, and so if those people would rather live in Montana and work from home, then awesome actually. Right. Like let's clear out some space and um, let's let things settle in and get a little more affordable and maybe we can really, you know, champion some, artists and some makers and some musicians and some photographers and some, you know, broadcasters, like, like, let's, let's create some space for that. And I just, I, I'm like, to people who are like, ah, it's over. I'm like, no way, no way. Look around. This is such a beautiful place. And it is perfect weather and amazing people. Like, it's not over. It's just gonna, it's just gonna go through some changes, but I don't fear change. 
that was Marcy Coburn. On the next episode of Storied San Francisco, friend of the show and past guest, Brokass Stewart, comes back to share his life story with you. Episode 21 drops next Tuesday. Music for the podcast was produced, performed, and curated by Otis McDonald. Original photography is by Michelle Kilfeather. Aaron Lim of Bitch Talk Podcast is our contributing producer. And the show is produced and hosted by me, Jeff Hunt. Now in our fourth season, we have more than 150 episodes available on our website, storiedsf.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you can, subscribe, rate, and review our show so we can reach even more folks. And if you'd like to drop us an old-fashioned email, we'd love that. The address is storiedsf at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, stay strong, stay healthy, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is a proud member of the BFF.FM podcast network. Learn more at podcasts.bff.fm. BFF.FM, best frequencies forever.